Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we discuss Paul's approach to righteousness. Paul's main thesis is that righteousness is not achieved by man's ability to uphold the law, but by Jesus' fulfillment of the law through his life, death, and resurrection. The law is not adequate for salvation. Neither is our ability to follow the rules of the law. What makes righteousness possible is Jesus, and our part is to put faith in him. So Romans 9 through 11, Paul is addressing the objection from his opponents that we've been talking about relative to, okay, if you can just like do anything you want to do without the law, the law is this covenant. The law comes out of this covenant with Israel. So if the law is no longer necessary, then Israel must not be necessary. God has forsaken Israel. See how dumb that is? Okay, so that's another one of their objections. And so in 9 through 11, Paul is answering that objection. Now, he already said the law is no longer, it's not that the law isn't good, it's that it doesn't work to the end that it was intended. It showed us our failings, but it doesn't give us the power to actually accomplish the result, which Mm -hmm. is love your neighbor as yourself. But what does is an inner faith. And then if you have that inner faith and you live that inner faith, you can love your neighbor, particularly with the power of the Holy Spirit. And therefore, when you love your neighbor, you're fulfilling the law. So you actually go beyond the law. You get out from under it and then go beyond it. That, that's Paul's already argued that. But he still wants to address this, well, what about Israel? And, and he ends up with chapter 11. I, I think he... he um, kind of uh, culminates his his argument about that in 1126. And he says, and so all Israel will be saved. Okay, so ultimately Israel is going to be brought completely back into harmony with God. That That's his point. It, he, it is going to happen. And he says the reason why in verse 29 of chapter 11, for the gifts and calling of God are irrevocable. Because he says, you know, concerning the gospel, they're enemies, okay? So these, all these people are enemies to the people who've believed in the Messiah. But concerning the election, they're beloved for the sake of the fathers. And this goes all the way back to Deuteronomy when God says, I didn't choose you as my people because you're particularly... Uh, choosable (laughs) skilled or something yeah (laughs) you know i i chose you because i love your i love your forefathers and i've transferred that love onto you it's very explicitly stated i think it's deuteronomy 4 37 and 7 7 and 8 that say that so i've chose you because i love you which is john 3 16 right Mm -hmm. god has so loved the world so that's the same reason he died for everybody he loves us which is encouraging. Mm-hmm. But he, he makes a real clear thing. Yeah, Israel will be saved. But then the question is, well, how did the Gentiles fit into that? And in, in chapter 11, he says, um, well, Israel is like an olive tree that got cut down. But the root's still there. 
the root's still there, and it can grow back. And if you go to Israel, you can see this. They'll chop those things down, and they'll start growing again out of the root. Mm -hmm. it's, it's kind of a cool thing. And he said, you Gentiles are like a wild olive branch. So wild olive trees don't produce olives. And so, but you can take a wild olive branch and graft it in, and it'll start producing olives. And it's hybrid vigor. You know, you get the mm -hmm. hardiness of the, of the one tree and the productivity of the other. And he said, you're like that. You got grafted in to the root. So don't think, don't get haughty and think you've been raised above Israel. You haven't. You've been grafted into Israel. And in fact, he also says in Romans that Abraham is the father of all who believe. He's the example. And if you want to be a true son of Abraham, you get your heart circumcised, which means, you know, circumcision was a, was a physical ceremony that set you apart as a, you know, being in the family of Abraham. Mm -hmm. Well, he said, the physical part doesn't matter. It's the heart part to have this faith. And that sets you apart because you can walk like Abraham does. That's the true children of Abraham. It's a spiritual children. So there's this spiritual grafting in that happens. And he says in here that kind of wild because what's happened is God has used the rejection of his people. His people rejected him. They suffered for it. And the result was immense blessing for the Gentiles because they got all this space and time. Because in Acts 4, it tells us, uh, they preach, Peter preaches this. He says, if you will repent, Jesus will come back right now and bring in the messianic kingdom. He calls it the time of refreshing. We wouldn't be here, <laughs> right? This, we, we, none of this would have happened. So he calls it the time of the Gentiles. This time of the Gentiles happened because of their rejection. They had a true offer. It was rejected. They suffered. We benefited. And so Paul, Paul is, uh, recognizes here that there's something crazy going on because we have choices. He orchestrates events, which means he's in control, but our choices still matter, which is extremely paradoxical. And in chapter uh, 9, he says, God, well, God does whatever he wants to do. He hardened Pharaoh's heart. And if you complain about it, so he's God. Now, Pharaoh hardened his heart first. He hardened his heart, and then God's like, okay, I'm going to harden your heart so that you get a way more of this than you were really bargaining for. Okay, So there's still a cause-effect, but God orchestrated it. He gets, he gets kind of to the end of, of this whole thing, which, he, which he's, you know, he's laid out. And he says something that I think kind of explains the paradox of God and the paradox of kind of Christianity. Because God's paradoxical. Christianity's paradoxical. God is in control of all things, but he gave us free choice, and the choices are real. How can that be? God's three, he's one. How can that be? God's human. God's spirit. How, how can that be? So if he's human, he's limited, but he's infinite. How can that be? Mm -hmm. And then he brings that to us and say, if you want to live, die. If you want your life to be raised up, lay it down. If you want to be great, then serve children. Mm -hmm. so everything's paradoxical. And, and he kind of sums this all up with the, the explanation. And, and you'll get into a lot of uh, debates with people that want to figure this out. You know, how, how can it be? You know, I'm, and, the, and the presumption is everything must fit into my, the, bound, the boundaries of my logical understanding 
or I can't receive it, right? Mm -hmm. And here's Paul, the Apostle Paul, the smartest guy in the Bible. Here's his explanation. Oh, the depth of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has, and then he quotes the Old Testament, for who has known the mind of the Lord or who has become his counselor or who has first given to him and it shall be repaid to him. For of him and through him and to him are all things, to whom be the glory forever. Amen. So that's how this whole thing, this whole like 1 through 11, you know, answering these guys, these, these objectors, it all culminates, and then he goes into 12 through 16 where he this is the example of what this life, this life of faith looks like. It all culminates with, I get that this is hard to understand. But I told you it was all about faith. <laughs> and it's not faith in me. It's me making good choices. As he says in 9, God controls everything. And then in 10, he says, you better make good choices because your choices matter and it's all cause effect. It's up to you. Well, how can that be? God. God. God figures it out. What's up, for us, what's up to us is not to figure it out, it's to be faithful with what we know. And that, that's a pretty cool, that's a pretty cool way he sums this whole thing up. Yeah, you, you've uh, mentioned Romans as like a political pamphlet. We've also talked about it some as, as kind of a story, you know, as a narrative that's happening. And it occurs to me just like uh, how great a climax to the story this, this is. And for Paul... Yeah, you've, you you might have heard the reference of the Bible or or the gospel as the greatest story ever told. So Paul's sitting here on this, you know, great plot twist and climax and saying, This is this is the story. This is what it's all about. This is the fulfillment of the covenant, not the abolition of it. This is the beauty of it, not the you know, not the challenge, not the restraint, not the I mean, it is challenging and frustration, but also beautiful and, and that's the paradox of it. But the paradox is part of the of the wonderfulness of it and the paradox isn't a problem that needs to be solved it's kind of a mystery that needs to be embraced embraced and celebrated because it's like oh the depth and the riches of the wisdom of god isn't this amazing this is the guy that cares about us that's orchestrating all this and giving us a spot and a place and a role and an opportunity to play a part in this incredible and you know in 2 Corinthians, Paul says, I, I think fairly clearly, although he, he doesn't admit he's just like, I know a guy who went to heaven and saw things he's not allowed to talk about. I know this guy. Well, it has to be him, right? Because if you're not allowed to talk about it, he couldn't have found it out from somebody. <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Okay. And he says, the who saw things that you're not allowed to talk about, things that... So he has had a peak. He has had a peek into this somehow, and he's like, I'm just telling you, this is beyond our capacity to really comprehend. But it's not beyond our capacity to be faithful in. And then he goes straight into, I beseech you, therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to make yourself a living sacrifice. Lay down your life, because it's a reasonable thing to do, given all that's gone before. You, you lay down your life, you set aside flesh and all of its appetites and all of its slavery and all of its affection for the world. 
put that to death, which is what a sacrifice does, it dies, for the pleasure of this amazing God and for the pleasure of all the people that are going to participate in the feast. Why? It's in your best interest. Mm -hmm. This is how you get true fulfillment as a human, which is why it's reasonable. It's your reasonable service. And how do you do that? Be transformed from a person who focuses on the world and its system and all of its promises, all of its empty promises, to a person who understands unfathomable God in the sense that we can understand it and seeks that and, and, and goes after what God has for us. And when you do, what it looks like is not thinking yourself first, deferring to others, thinking about their best interest. Sometimes whether they, especially with kids, okay, whether they perceive it as being benevolent or not. And often, often, if you're going to do something truly benevolent, the other person isn't going to like it. And what we tend to do is define benevolence as that which gives me affirmation. Right. No, that's not. That's self-seeking. <laughs> Well, you know, to go to the parent analogy a little further, it's like, you know, it drove me crazy when I was a kid. I would ask, why do I have to do whatever you're saying? And my parents would say the old phrase of, because I said, said so. so. And I think it translates into our faith because it often feels like this obligation. But what my what parents are really after when they're saying that is like, this is in your own best interest. It's just, I, I'm not sure you're ready for a full explanation. And so you've got to... You've got to trust me, and it it occurs to me like the, you know, a paradox. We talked about this Tim with our Ecclesiastes series and other places, but paradox is, doesn't seek a solution; it seeks a resolution. So it's not a problem that needs to be solved. It's a reality that needs that you can participate in. So the resolution is to trust God. Faith is the resolution of the paradox, and what. Uh, Paul's opponents here, and what so many of us, us, you know, the three of us included, try to do so often is to solve the problem rather than to put our faith and trust in God. Well, what we tend to do is resolve it through I control. What we're, our our solution is how can I get control of this? And that's all always an illusion. Right. It's always an illusion. Now we do control three things. We control who we trust. God left that wholly up to us. And we control how we look at things. We can look at things in the world's lens, or we can be transformed by the renewing of our mind and look at things as, if I'm a living sacrifice, that's in my best interest. We get to choose that, and that's what, that's what Paul is ad admonishing us to do in this. And then going back to this believe, speak, do, the, the Deuteronomy 30, the righteousness of faith that he talked about, confess, believe, believe, confess. If we believe that what God tells us is in our best interest and we speak it, think about those things, dwell on it, then we're going to do it. Mm -hmm. But and, and so he gives us some things like here's what that might look like, but that's for us to dwell on, not to use as a rule set. Now, you were talking about the narrative. You know, I had mentioned earlier, I think, one of the, one of the layers of this multi-layered um, treatise is that uh, Paul is writing an, a counter to the Plato's Republic idea of what righteousness is. And righteousness is harmony. 
and I had mentioned that uh, Socrates said righteousness is when everybody in a city-state does what they do best for the city-state, and the head is this group of you know, period, people with superior uh, uh, constitutions they were born with, which we all know doesn't happen, right? The guardians. And Paul comes up with the, roughly the same thing, that uh, in one sense, that it's the body where everybody does what they do best for the benefit of the body. The huge difference is the head. The head isn't a group of people. Uh, it is Christ. Mm -hmm. Christ is the head. God is the head. So look now at what we've just talked about. When we hold this paradox by faith and, and seek the, the unfathomable mind of God, we're now bringing harmony between God and us through our faith and our actions. So that is righteousness, when everything is coming into harmony. And, and the clash, the disharmony is going to be between the kingdom of God, which is this way of our mutual benefit, and the kingdom of the world, which is a tyrant ruling over the weaker, the strong exploit the weak. So now I mentioned with this Romans 9, 10, 9, and 10, that's confess, believe, believe, confess, was actually, is actually Paul trying to get us to adopt this mindset and apply it. Just like Moses was presenting to God's people, the children of Israel. He wasn't trying to get them adopted into God's. They were his people. Mm -hmm. uh, and he was trying to say, you have a choice. Choose which way you go. And, and that's what Paul's doing here in, in this, actually in the whole book. But some people use verses from Romans to tell, show people how to be born again. And you can actually use any verse from the Bible to show people how to be born again because it's life versus death. And so seeking life in, anywhere along the way that the Bible's talking about seeking life, that is an invitation that's an invitation for anyone to seek life. And, and if you're not a believer, your first step is to have enough faith to look on Jesus on the cross saying, I really don't want to die. I want, I want, I want, I trust that you'll save me from the penalty of sin, mm -hmm. separation from God. And at that point, you made a new creation in Christ. Now you're born. And, and the rest of the time, it's developing your faith to live the life that you were born to live. Because so you're saved from the penalty of sin. Then daily, you need to be saved from the power of sin in the flesh to walk in your newness of life. That's an ongoing choice. Who mm -hmm. are you going to trust? How are you going to look at things? Um, what are you going to do every day? And then you're looking forward to the time when you're saved from the presence of sin, when you get a new body in a new, in a new world. But in that time, the start, the end of our life here is actually not our death on earth, I would say. And the start of the next life isn't when we go to heaven because everybody goes to heaven for judgment and then there's a repositioning back to earth. I would say, I would say the, the, start, the end of this life is the judgment when, we're, when what we do on this life is judged. And that, that happens when, when we're freed from, delivered from, saved from the presence of sin. Like we said, one of the verses in Romans, we're nearer now to our salvation than when we first believed. So we're getting closer and closer to that time when we're delivered from the presence of sin. 
But part of that is to be judged for our stewardship of what we did with the gifts that God gave us. And that actually, that last day, that last day is supposed to be our main focus of what our life counted for. And then there'll be a, a reset and a, re, and a refining and all tears will be wiped away and uh, all gifts will be given and some will reign and some will not and how that works we're not really told. We're told God will figure that out. <laughs> so don't worry about other people. Worry about yourself. And then there's this new world that we get into that we get little taste of. But, I mean, it's, you get the new earth, and it's the kings bring their glory into the city, and the nations are doing these amazing things, and there's this city that's 1,500 miles high, and it's just like, you know, it's telling you this is going to be something way different than what you've ever experienced and way amazingly cool. It's not going to be sitting around on piles of toilet paper plucking harps, you know, <laughs> One, you know, staring off into space. It's going to be vibrant and, and exciting and, and engaged and interactive. You, you get that sense, but it's just, it's just beyond our capacity to, to know. Now, I'll, I'll just throw this in right at the end. One of the questions that we got was, do pets go to heaven? <laughs> okay. And when we say go to heaven, what we mean is, what we actually mean is be in harmony with Christ for eternity. Okay. There's, there's, um, this, this is maybe going beyond the scope of Romans a little bit, but, um, you know, heaven is actually just where God is. You know, it's, that's, you know, on earth as it is in heaven. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Heaven is wherever God's will is being done. So when we are doing God's will, we're actually bringing a little piece of heaven to earth. The ultimate culmination of, of uh, human history is, or this is when Christ, when God comes to earth in the new earth and heaven comes to earth. And that's another harmony that happens. Right now they're separated. The spiritual is separated from the physical and heaven's separated from the earth. Those things are going to come together and harmonize. Our new bodies, Paul calls in 1 Corinthians 15, spiritual bodies. So now the spiritual and the physical are harmonized. And there's no more temple because Jesus himself is the temple. He's dwelling on earth. So the harmony we have to look forward to is, you know, stunning. Mm -hmm. It's a real stunning deal. And it's, uh, it's beyond our capacity to comprehend. But what we're told, and this is pretty clear, the more we live by faith in this life, the greater will be our appreciation and capacity to participate in that harmony in the future. That's, that's what we're being told and hinted at. And we're, it's going to be a big deal if we miss out on that, a big, big, big deal. So you want to get all you can. And I think, you know, Socrates is kind of telling the Greeks you can have this. And Paul's like, peanuts. That's total peanuts. Wrong head, wrong objective. You know, having a great city-state's good, but that's just nothing. Let me, let, me just, let me just blow that away and just show you what's really possible. And it starts with this serving and loving others. And when you do that, you're doing something cosmically uh, stupefying, terrific, amazing, wonderful. 
Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening.